Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. And the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eliezer to have charge of the ark of the Lord. From the day that the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Astaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Astaroth, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now, when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hands of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up that burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we're together. It's the Lord's day and we have your word. We thank you that you are a sufficient savior and that through many years, many seasons and even trials and deep waters you have always been there and you promise to always be there in our future we thank you that this word till now the lord has helped us is true not only in samuel's day but it's true in ours as well and so once again we pray that you would meet with us we pray that you would speak through your word we pray that you would empower it and make it to fall on our hearts who are ready to receive it So, Father, we long to hear from you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today is really a special day in the life of our church and College Park Church's ministry and lifetime. This Sunday marks, as you've heard all day, the last service that we will hold in this present sanctuary and the last time that the Word will be preached from this location, something that is not lost on me at all. Since 1997, this sanctuary has served as the Sunday morning gathering place for the body of believers called College Park Church. And today, what we're going to do is reflect on the goodness of God as He has met with us week after week for so many years. For most of us, we were not a part of the beginning of College Park Church. And yet, when you look back on that church history, which I have had the privilege of doing so in a deep way this last week, 
you get a very clear sense that God's hand has been on this group of people in a very remarkable way. In fact, so much so, this has really prompted my own personal mission statement while being a pastor here. It's simply this, Mark, don't mess this up. And I mean that in all seriousness. There is this this respect and awe that I have of being a part of College Park's story and knowing that God's hand has been on this place for many, many years. What I want to do is to give you a brief history of College Park Church so you can know a little bit about where God has brought us. College Park was birthed 26 years ago in 1985 when a group of Bible-believing churches in the Indianapolis area, or rather the state of Indiana, called the Indiana Fellowship of Regular Baptist Churches, wanted to plant a church in northern Indianapolis. They saw this as a growing um, area that seemed to be a strategic location for a church plant. At the time, Carmel only had about 20,000 people in it, compared now to well over 70,000. The Fellowship of Churches uh, called Kimber Kaufman to be the planting church pastor of College Park Church. He was at that time pastoring in LaRue, Ohio. And therefore, a small group of people, ten families gathered for a Bible study, and eventually they met in the Holiday Inn, uh, coincidentally in Casino Room B. So, (laughs) God can redeem anything, can he? (laughs) Including bulletins that look like that. So, (laughs) come a long ways, haven't we? Huh? It wasn't long until that church grew rapidly and outgrew the space at the Holiday Inn and they relocated to a nearby warehouse. Just curious, in this room, how many of you were there present during the warehouse days? Let me see your hands. Okay, not many of you. In 1986, it was clear that the church needed a permanent location. They were outgrowing the space and they began searching for property. In June of that year, 10 acres was purchased at 96th in town, our present location. And miraculously, over the years, acre by acre, and just amazing stories, lots of them connected with our neighbors, God allowed us to purchase additional property so that today we have over 35 acres on this very strategic location. In 1992, the first sanctuary was built on 96th in town. We know that today as Worship 2, or as the Fellowship Hall, and that could hold about 450 people. The building cost just under a million dollars, and it was paid off in three years. By now, College Park was averaging over a thousand each Sunday. Then, after adding church offices and then additional classrooms, the present sanctuary was built in 1997. This sanctuary right here cost about $3 million and was paid off a year later. Now, I hope you start to see a pattern, okay? (laughs) Just just to review, the the sanctuary over there was was built, and in like three years it was paid off. Then this one was built, and it was what? Paid off in about a year, right? So we typically build buildings and then pay them off. So we build buildings and pay them off. We build buildings and we... (laughs) pay them off. So there's a a pattern I want to emphasize there a little bit to you. So this sanctuary is supposed to hold about 900 people, and it wasn't long until three services became the norm at College Park. Attendance continued to grow. A great staff team was formed. In fact, the staff that a few years later would become the nucleus of really helping to hold the church together through some challenging times. And College Park consistently consisted of 2,000 people or more. You know, looking back, folks, it's an amazing story of God's faithfulness. 
faithfulness. Those of you who've been around here, you know what God has done in the context of this body. Over a period of 20 years, College Park Church purchased 32 acres, built five buildings, built and paid for every building, and paid them off in less than four years. Did you hear me? Paid them off in less than four years. They, they planted two churches. We grew... Um, to a size of uh, over 2,000, gave $3.2 million in Christmas offerings to foreign missions, it grew from the small nucleus of 10 families to over 2,000 people. And, and like every church, there were seasons of great blessing and great excitement. There were seasons of trial and great difficulty. And yet through it all, the one thing that is so clear is God's hand was unmistakably on this place. God was here and is here. And now here we are in 2011. In the last three years, we've gone from 2,100 to 3,500, growing about 70%. The budget's increased by 50%. We've expanded the ministry at Brookside. We've given away, in the last number of years, $1.7 million to local and global outreach efforts. And we embarked on this journey to increase our facilities to match our mission. We asked you during the Great Recession to pray about committing 12 million in the midst of that season you committed 15 it's just it's just an amazing story of what god has done he has been so incredibly faithful every week god has been true to his word and we've been able to see like the psalmist says taste and see the lord is good in fact so much so that that when i when i was installed here as pastor i said something after the elders prayed for me and that is that that there is a sense of stewardship that i have of this story such that I have a privilege to be able to lead as the lead pastor a congregation that I had nothing to do with. And my hope and prayer is that 20, 30, 40 years from now, however long, uh, however long the Lord has for me in the context of this ministry, that I'll be able to, at the end of my service to be able to say the same thing, that I had nothing to do with it. That ultimately it was God, by His Spirit and through His Word. You see, there's a, a story of what God has done here that is really captured in what we would even call our core values. These are the things that God has uh, really birthed and, and taught us over the years. In fact, we, we put together a little bookmark, and that's in your bulletin this morning. These core values define the story of College Park's past and also will define our future. Friends, this is a thing that we carry with us from this sanctuary into the next. Things like the preeminence of Jesus, the authority of the Word, redemptive community. Biblical unity in the midst of diversity, extravagant grace, and the call to go. These are the, this is the story what God has done in the context of, of our church ministry, and this is what will continue as we move into the next season of life. In, in, in fact, these core values, we found a great place for them in the new building. There's a, a bulkhead that wraps around the new sanctuary in the atrium area, and we put these core values on that atrium, or on that bulkhead in the atrium, almost as though they're wrapping right around the context of that new worship space because we want to be sure that these values these things that have defined us by virtue of god's work within us continue to guide us as we move forward into the next season of ministry that god has for us this is an amazing story of what has happened in this very room and i can't wait to see what god does even in our next season of ministry together now, I share all of this with you because I don't want you to miss the beauty of what God has done in our midst. I share this with you because I, I want you to realize what, frankly, we are privileged to be a part of. And in a figurative sense, I want this Lord's Day to be a bit of a memorial. 
Not a physical memorial, but a spiritual memorial, a marker, if you will, of all that he has done. Because in the Bible, we find that memorials are really important. In fact, the Bible has all sorts of memorials. Think, for instance, with me about Passover, the memorial of God taking his people out of Egypt and rescuing them. Think with me of the, the memorial of, um, of uh, the tabernacle or the, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles where the people of Israel are, are wandering in the wilderness and God pulls them out of the wilderness and then reminds them, go in booze and camp once a year to be reminded of the fact that you used to wander in the wilderness. You could think with me of the moment when they crossed um, the Jordan River and moved into the Promised Land and they set up 12 stones as a reminder of God's faithfulness. Or you could think of the moment when Joshua and the people of Israel recovenanted themselves in the promised land. When they said, we will serve the Lord, and in that moment, when the people covenanted before the Lord, Joshua set up a memorial stone, a marker, a witness as to what they had said and what they had promised. And, and of course, you could think with me of the greatest memorial ever given, and that is the Lord's Supper, the memorial that we just celebrated, the memorial that Paul recorded in 1 Corinthians 11 that we are to do In reference to what Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. So memorials are important. Now today we're going to look at the Ebenezer Memorial. And this is a a moment in the life of Israel where um, God showed up in a, a, a fresh, unique, and a significant way. And it's a memorial really captured with the phrase, till now the Lord has helped us. But in order, in order to understand this, and so take your Bibles and go to 1 Samuel 7. In order to understand this, you have to get the background of what's happening prior to 1 Samuel 7. During this time in Israel's history, there was no king. Instead, the people were led and ruled by prophets who served as both prophet and priest and a figurative king. Additionally, there was no temple. Rather, God's presence was directly tied to an object called the Ark of the Covenant. During this time, the arch enemy of Israel was the Philistines. And they had, in Israel's recent past, won a humiliating victory over Israel at the city of Ebenezer. 1 Samuel 4 tells us what happens. That as the Philistines came out for battle, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, took the Ark of the Covenant and they tried to use the Ark as some kind of token of God's blessing and they brought it into the thick of the battle. And, And God not only judged Hophni and Phinehas by killing them in the battle, he judged the entire nation by allowing the Ark of the Covenant to be stolen, captured, and taken to the, um, uh, to the capital of the city, uh, the capital of the country of the Philistines called Ashdod. And it is there that the Philistines set up the Ark of the Covenant in their temple, in fact, to the temple Dagon, and strange things began happening. For instance, the figure of Dagon, one morning when they came to worship, was completely tipped over and had fallen on its face before the Ark. Now, if that wasn't enough, they set it back up, and the next day they came back, and it fell over again, but this time when it fell, its head came off and its hands came off. And then people began noticing that there was a greater greater instance of tumors that were happening in the city in which it was held. And they began to get this sense that this Ark of the Covenant was really special, and it was bad news for them to have it. Now, for Israel, it was horrible that they had lost this Ark, because the Ark 
was the very presence of God in their midst. And so for them to lose the ark was not just to lose a, a, a piece of furniture or to lose a memorial or something that, that typified their worship. Rather, the ark of the covenant was the very presence of God. So when they lost the ark, they lost, in a sense, their identity as a nation. And more importantly, they lost the presence of God in their midst. God judged them by departing from them. In fact, a a child that was born during that day was named Ichabod, which meant the glory of God has departed. So when this ark is lost, Israel views this battle, lost at the city of Ebenezer, as a horribly humiliating defeat that, that, that typifies not only their loss of a battle, but their loss of God's presence in their nation. Well, eventually the Philistines get so weary of these tumors and these strange things that are happening that they decide to send the Ark of the Covenant back to to Israel. And so what they do is they put it on an ox cart and they attach two milking cows, not oxen, but two milking cows, both of whom have young calves. They lock the calves up and, and, and say, if these cows go to Israel and they leave their young calves behind, then we'll know that this is something special. Well, sure enough, those milking cows leave um, Ashdod, the city of the Philistines, and they make their way all the way to Beth Shemesh in Israel, and the Ark of the Covenant miraculously comes back to the people of Israel. They take the Ark, and they they put charge over it, a man named Eleazar, who takes care of the Ark and really keeps it in the nation, but keeps it nearly hidden. And for 20 years, while they have the Ark back, there is this sense that things are not the way that they should be in the nation of Israel. In fact, 1 Samuel 7 says that they lamented after the Lord. Look at verse 3. Samuel, at some point, appears and calls for renewal and repentance. He says this, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Well, the people heard this call and they responded positively and so therefore Samuel calls them to the city of Mizpah, a city about seven miles north of Jerusalem. This was a familiar meeting place for major events and announcements. When Saul is coronated as king, they will make this announcement at Mizpah. So you can think of it like the mall at Washington, D.C., where big and important events take place. Well, the nation of Israel gathers there, and Samuel says, I will pray for you in verse 5. So the entire nation gathers at Mizpah, and they pour out water before the Lord as a sign of their repentance. They fasted, they cried out to the Lord in confession in 1 Samuel 7, 6. And and it must have been a a phenomenal moment, a a beautiful thing for Samuel and the people to see as the nation began to return back to God with all their heart. This was a spiritual highlight, no doubt, for Samuel and the people. But like often happens, spiritual highlight often encounters immediate opposition and crisis. In 1 Samuel 7, 7, we learn that the Philistines heard about this gathering. And either they saw it as a military buildup, or they saw it as a strategic opportunity to defeat Israel. The Philistines marshaled their forces and began marching on Mitzpah to attack the people of Israel. And when the people of Israel heard this news, that here they were, and the Philistines were coming again, only 20 years earlier had they lost the battle at Ebenezer, lost the ark, and now, just when they're getting right with God, another attack comes from the same nation that destroyed them 20 years ago and stole the ark. 
You ever felt like that? Ever felt like just when you're starting to get right with the Lord, just when things are starting to head in the right direction, the enemy comes along with discouragement or despair or disheartening works to try and destroy what God is doing? Just when things were getting bright, it got incredibly dark. And therefore, they they cried out to Samuel for his intercession for them. They cry out to him to pray for them and for God to deliver them. They knew according to verse 8, that God was their only hope, and so they begged Samuel to pray for them. They asked him to be an intercessor. Verse 9, here's what Samuel did. It says, So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. So can you imagine this scene? Here is the Philistine army that's approaching. They're marching on the city of Mizpah. Samuel takes a lamb. He offers it to the Lord. And God does something that is so unbelievably kind and gracious and that screams of his power and his majesty, that just when his people were looking at their lives and going, you kidding me, this is going to happen again? God delivers them. He thunders from heaven, the text says, and scattered the nation of of the Philistines. Look at verse 10. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offerings, the Philistines drew near to Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were routed before Israel. And the men of Israel went out to Mitzpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below beth Here's what happened. While sacrificing, while interceding, God shows up and wins the battle. They cried out to God. God rescued them. He saved them. And then... To celebrate this great moment, Samuel sets up a monument or a memorial stone as a symbol, a reminder of what God did in this city. And as he set up this stone, he called the stone Ebenezer. Now that name and its symbolic reference for the battle that they had lost 20 years earlier, I'm sure was not lost on anyone. In the same way as if a major victory were to happen somehow in our future on September 11th, 2022. That the date was transformed, or in this case, the name was transformed. The name that used to mean horrible defeat now became a name of God's ability to deliver. And so Samuel sets up this stone. On this dark day in their past, he now uses that name, the name that used to mean that God's very presence was taken away. Now everything has changed, and Samuel erects this monument of God's faithfulness, and he says, as he erects this stone, till now the Lord has helped us. And every day, as people made the journey from Jerusalem north to Mizpah as they passed by this stone. It would have been a marker stone of a battle in the past that was dark and a battle in the near present that God had delivered his people from, a stone that symbolized the unbelievable helpfulness of a sovereign God. Till now the Lord has helped us is not just true for Israel, friends, it is true for us as well. I can imagine that you can think of countless moments in your life where God showed up and delivered you. And in some cases, God showed up and delivered you right in this very room. 
You came to a Sunday morning worship service. And by virtue of the songs that were sung or the message that was given, you knew God was here. You knew that what was happening, what was being said, was divinely designed just for you. You knew in that moment that your eyes were open. Some of you in this very room, while the word was being spoken, you saw it for the first time. You saw the glory of the gospel and you saw it in a way that you'd never seen it before. And God showed up and in your seat while you're sitting there, your eyes are open, your spirit of your heart is now aware and you see things that you've never seen. It's the miracle of regeneration that happened in this very room. There were others of you that you came here with this veneer Christianity, this play in this game thing. People thought you were one thing, but you're really another. In the context of a worship service, God said, that's it, that's enough. And he pulled back the blinders of your eyes and you saw who you really were. And you were horrified. And God mercifully pulled you from the tragedy of your own life with you in control. Some of you have received comfort in this room, in a way that could only be designed by a God who knows exactly what you need. Some of you have mourned the loss of a dear friend. You've, you've buried friends after meeting in this room, and you've received comfort and hope. What, what mercy it is to know that God does that, and that He still does that. This room has been a special room. For some of you, it's been the place where you heard and understood the gospel for the first time. For others, it's been the place where God uncovered your sin, mercifully so. For others, it's been a place of comfort and in the midst of great and terrible personal crisis, a place where you've found mercy, a place of hope, a place where you've not only found conviction, but you've found what it means for God to walk with you. See, everything that's happened inside of these walls declares, till now he has helped us. This room has been a place where God has met with us in extraordinary ways. We've listened, we've laughed, we've cried, we've mourned, we've comforted, we've prayed, we've dedicated, we've anointed, we've celebrated, we've repented, all in this room, and all all because of God's grace. The hymn writer of Come Thou Fount nailed it in this regard, said, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. In other words, hither by thy help I have come, meaning I've experienced your help in the past, and so based upon that help from the past, I'm going to believe God that for the rest of my life I'll receive the help that I need. In other words, here's my exhortation to you. Do not forget what God has done in your life in this room. So while I was reading through First Samuel 7, I just... It struck me that in the midst of the story of Ebenezer and this stone, there's a beautiful picture here of even the greater Ebenezer moment. Because here is Samuel who faces a coming horde of attacking Philistines. The people ask him to intercede. And in this role as prophet, priest, and figurative king, Samuel offers a lamb. And in that offering, God intercedes intersects into their lives and thunders from heaven and then wins the battle. And it's an amazing foreshadowing of the greatest moment in all of human history, the moment when God helped us 
beyond what we could hardly even believe that happened not by virtue of a stone that was raised, but by virtue of a cross that was raised. Think of this upraised cross, this Lamb of God who was offered for sin, and think of the fact that it was at Calvary that God shook the earth and allowed His Son to absorb the full wrath of a sin-hating God. It was this offering of this Lamb, this God-man being offered named Jesus, who hangs there as prophet, priest, and king, who then fulfills the plan of God and rescues His people, not from the danger of an army, but from the danger of their sin. So as meaningful as Ebenezer till now the Lord has helped us, is even more meaningful is the cross that says God has helped us and He will always help us. So in the fields of Mitzpah, God saved a nation from the Philistines and He turned a battle that was a dark spot in their history, the Battle of Ebenezer, and He changed it into something beautiful and made this terrible moment something glorious that now people would look at and say that's the Ebenezer Stone where God, in effect, took a dark moment in their history and redeemed it. And can you just think of all the ways that God has taken the dark moments in your life and and redeemed them? The hymn writer again on Come Thou Fount says this, Come Thou Fount, here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Read the last stanza with me. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He, to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. Interposed, it means that God came after you. He found you. The Puritans put it this way, that God, like the hound of heaven, is after you. And for some of you, your path ended here where God got you in this very room. The greatest Ebenezer moment is when God rescues you from yourself, from the mess that you've made of your life. Friends, in this room, God has helped us over and over and over again. He's helped us in this very room where God has, till now, helped us over and over. I want you to bow your heads and just... I want to ask you three questions as we just meditate on this. The first thing is this. First, can you just remember what God has done? I want you to think back in your life of moments when God has met you here. Think of moments when He's brought conviction. Moments when He opened your eyes. And then secondly, while you're there, will you just take a moment and just to thank Him, just express your gratitude to Him. God, thank You that in this moment You spoke to me. Remind your heart of where you'd be today if not for the intersection of God's Word and for the interposition of His precious blood. And then third... Would you just, where you're seated, commit yourself to more years of listening, years of loving, years of learning in the house of God, to say, God, I, I want to grow, I want to be like your son, I want to be everything that you want me to be for your glory. Friends, for 26 years now, College Park Church has been a place where people have found out what it means to be a passionate follower of Jesus. 
And there are days like today when we just need to stop and say, Thank you, God. You have been so faithful. Today we remember and celebrate till now. Till now the Lord has helped us. So Father, help us to never forget what it is that you have done in our lives in this room. More than a room, more than a building, more than a church. We, we relish the beauty of what you have done. You have spoken. You've brought conviction. You've brought healing. You've changed us. You are so amazingly kind. We love you today. stand together. Eric's going to lead us in a great song. Great, great is thy faithfulness. Let's sing this together.